Hello. <clears throat> the next chapter I'll be reading is called Revisiting Psychic Trauma, Third Eye Experience. Ooh. <laughs> this is going to be an interesting chapter. I was sitting at Bowling Green Park eating a cup of chicken noodle soup, minding my business, when a, my lid of my cup of soup flew away, landing in the middle of a gravel walkway. Before I could raise up to pick it up, a white couple approached and the woman blatantly stepped on it, crushing it under her foot. I politely said, ma'am, did you know that you stepped on my lid? The couple turned, acknowledged me, then continued walking without apologizing. Then I responded, you must have a mental disorder. Yeah, that's what it is. I sat back down and feeling proud that I did not erupt in anger this time, but in my mind, it would have gone a little bit this way. Ma'am, did you know that you stepped on my lid? Then without waiting on a response, I approached the beta male first, staring him dead in the eye, giving him a shrewd smile. Then I take out a switchblade and stab him in the neck. Then turn his polite girlfriend and start carving out her chunks of her face. Then I butcher them both till their internal organs are exposed and I eat them before I am shot down by the NYPD. A brutal sensation felt down in the pit of my stomach made it keenly certain that I would never be able to escape social antagonism as it disquiet as its disquieting effects confounds and immobilizes the senses, undermining the hard lessons which forces us to be human. Who desires this form of manipulation and being conspired against? It does not feel good to know people have an unloving disposition for me and my life for only be a series of maneuvering around mind manipulations and probing assumptions. This American system gives everyone a past and a right to keep my life miserable while never apologizing for it. A normal person would not think of giving up his life to escape this agony, but a person like me will stop taking his HIV medications because he does not want to compromise his peace in order to mature and grow. This growth has morphed into mental agony and if the human brain keeps shocking me with unpleasant grueling electroshocks to enable the metamorphosis then I will opt out of this and continue of continuing to tolerate the unpleasantness of life my real self is screaming to be free for my temperance to get to a pleasant place where I feel settled my nerves not jumping like hot kernels on a skillet this makes me feel trapped and I stay boozed up or smoked out to endure the mental anguish. It is now a matter of will and when it is, it is now a matter of when I will die. What's the begrudging disposition of having to live out this life experience with strange human beings that seem to be operatives of the devil? Then my next thought was to tie all of my assailants up. Miss Hadia, Dr. Gomez over at the internship I did at Elders, Mr. Woods, my social work professor, Mrs. Flores, the director at Plessy University, and Mrs. Whitaker. I will stack them all on top of one another as I thought I was preparing them for a mass grave. But they won't be dead as of yet, but screaming in agony as the boils, bowels of a large, dark, oozing steam pipe is set to cook them them alive. <laughs> I got the idea after watching the movie Bone Collector, where the woman is shackled and cooked alive by scalding steam. 
The steam rushed through the pipes, boiling her face off. I would sit and watch as the flesh on their miserable faces slowly melts off. Then I would have the last laugh. <laughs> For fucking with me. None of these thoughts carried any emotional weight, however. But it suddenly entered my mind as I was sick of people's bullcrap. I did not resist the negative content of the thoughts, nor do I know where it originated from. I do not hate people who have done me wrong. I only feel that they should receive reprimand for making my life miserable. I have been emotionally hardened. Connecting my pain to my faith in God was confused to the point of tears. I found myself pacing in the apartment, the apartment, scheming up ways that I would get back every single person that made my life experience more difficult than it had to be. Then I was, then I snapped myself out of the impression that this world is a nightmare, and I suggest to myself, Cornelius, maybe the potential threat and uncomfortable feelings you have are your own feelings. The day I recognized that I may possibly have a mental health condition making me prone to negative experiences is the day that I will be able to control the vindictive thoughts setting up camp like foreign enemy troops in my, in my brain. Then my next thought was God foresees my life so he knows what this is. He must know that this is too much to take. I cannot bear to know what I know about the futility of life choosing to remain here. I can feel irritated. I can feel the irritating effect kicking into my forebrain almost automatic and without being prompted by the outside I feel God knows how I will respond to situation and uses people to mirror the disorder resting within me how does he trust that I will survive the next level without doing something drastic what signifies us graduating to the a higher level I would say that higher elevation comes by attaining more knowledge. And that is why education is the single most threat to black kids. But I am jumping off topic. In that moment, my heart was filled with the same anger that had crippled me for far too long. I decided when I made it home that I would take a shower and soak in my emotions. Was I having another manic episode? Was this borderline creeping in? Was I representing mental disorder symptoms? How could I think? killing someone is considered normal these questions ruminated as i thought of terroristic ways of killing a lot of people at one time then i started to feel sad that i would always be stuck somewhere between the past and the crux of destiny that there will always be this yoke that has been crowned on me to carry society into a new dimension of seeing the world and human nature differently that is all i wanted to accomplish to represent myself as a brand of unlimited possibilities by expressing the fullest most personal aspects of what makes humans so unique it has been inside me burning to run to something bigger than me and i feel the tugging sending me off to write somewhere this energy wants to put me in an unbelievable space that may overwhelm in that moment in the crux not as some damnation but a demarcation my life has been a series of limitations and freedoms. With both, I tried to make the best out of either situation. When connecting my life stressors to mental illness, I never thought I would feel so preoccupied by delusional thoughts that are as real as if they were happening in real time. Then I got to thinking about evaluating my current principles and value systems to see if there is anything that I can do better to or change so that I am giving myself a, a better chance to be prepared for the higher elevation. I was getting around the fact that my real life has limitations, but I try not to see them as much such. 
because I understand how thoughts feed negativity and evokes the stuck feeling. If I am honest, I do feel stuck in certain areas of my life and life will mobilize if only people like me liked if wait let me repeat that if i am honest i do feel stuck in certain areas of my life and life will mobilize if only people liked me enough to help me get to where i need to go then i realize all my attention has been predominantly on other people's perception of me. Though I have developed coping skills to offset the negative emotions, I still see my reality as watered down, a watered-down version of the life that I could have. Idealistically, I feel that I can achieve freedom. But the frustration of being in the trenches, having no escape from feeling everything is irritating. Something outside of me does not want me to be comfortable, but I cannot tell if it is from good or to my detriment. I do not know if this force field is attempting to knock me down or build me up. It is very confusing, but I have been having ups and down moods, possibly making the experience worse when all I want to do is appear normal to people. I needed to work on finding new ways of engaging others, possibly finding a gentler way of presenting myself. My thoughts all scattered. My mind and my hands want to do two different things. After I poured all of my tears on this page, I felt relaxed, confident, and mentally strong. I was better able to concentrate my thoughts away from people and putting my focus on matters which concerned only my life. I no longer wanted to harm anyone, but I hated being taken advantage of. I feel a vein in my neck activating when I come across morons and annoying intimidators who are rude and purposely trying to disrupt my day. This leads me to believing God only utilized humans on earth to make achieving our goals harder. Why else would he give us free will than chasten the strong-willed? This is the paradoxical question that keeps me up at night. Is this mental illness? Psychologists would call this sleeping patterns insomnia or borderline. But I have decided to call myself one of a kind and hope that I find my place, if not create my own place in this world. I watch a TD, T, TED talk on major depressive disorder talk titled Depression, The Secrets We Share by Andrew Solomon. He says, depression is like cleaving to a reason for living, end quote. Depression allows me to cling to joy. He called it lack of maturity to move forward or see a clear view into the future. Maybe this is what I was experiencing when I experienced the highs and lows of pain and disappointment. The pain felt is anger turned in, or it could be grief. The feeling of loss or losing something. If it is grief, there should be a period where the grief ends or stops, allowing me to bounce back and be resilient, imposed to preparing to preferring to be isolated and lose interest in things that once brought me pleasure. I know I was not depressed because I still had vitality. I still went out and desired meeting new people. I still loved to write in my journals. My motivations and determinations were exactly where they were supposed to be, and I only found myself feeling lazy and apathetic when I smoked weed. Are my ups and down moods occurring due to a reliving of past trauma and hurt? Or is it occurring due to a chemical imbalance and serotonin release? I am still able to feel pleasure from the little things such as meditating and going to nature. I enjoy taking myself out to eat and I have not forgotten how to laugh. However, I do not see myself quitting marijuana anytime soon because I feel attached to it. I do not know if I am using it to cope 
although I am able to go a full day without it, I still feel compulsions to smoke if it is available. I considered admitting myself into an inpatient clinic, but I felt apprehensive about the process. I was worried that they would force me to take medications and I feared it would change my personality, making me less creative to where I'd lose zest for life and hope for the future. For the most part, my mood and behaviors were functional and adaptive in society. I am constantly worried that I may be having something that is not quite adaptive in society, and my struggle is whether it is crucial that I change and to be normal, then maybe the scrutiny will go away. My other option was to roll by the, roll with the punches, not apologizing for my episodes and retain those aspects that are exasperated and embellished by accepting that I cannot change them. If I could, I do not know that I would because I would not be where I am. Why do I say this? Living on the crux of utter hopelessness and prosperity has given me an incentive to fight for my sanity. My perceptions that something is either present or devoid in the constitution of my personality has evoked a quest of discovery, a search for the hidden treasure to unlock all the hidden mysteries of life. I know that this treasure is locked inside my heart, riddled with quicksand, not allowing normalcy to settle. The path to the heart is rigged with booby traps and blood clots that clog the valve, pretending preventing access to the heart. The only way to reach the heart is to ascend over the trap, fly like an eagle and soar like a falcon. I am an eagle like, a, like living a pigeon's life. But one day I will realize I am not a pigeon and will fly off the dirty ground and soar into the heavens where eagles belong. I ask God to remove all hurt and pain, to take the thought of revenge from my heart and renew my spirit by giving me a fresh purpose while I ascend all obstacles. When I think about depression and the loss of energy and vitality, I would say that I may be resilient, have resilience to thank for my fast rebounds. Resilience covered the invasion of depressive feelings that I either blocked or denied as a symptom of some abnormality in my brain. The reason I say it's an abnormal is because a normal person usually goes through the course of his emotional bank maintaining balance and congruency. A depressed person will irrationally gravitate to both extremes where it will become maladaptive. Do I blame myself for never having let my emotions out? Then I realize it would not have not be very strength-based if I allow those internal emotions to fester. Then the feeling of inappropriate, irrational guilt sets in. Then I start to blame game all over again. Taking accountability and ascribing blame is two different things that confers two different mental and emotional processes. Buddhist philosophy, philosophy believes in the law of cause and effect. Though attempts have been made to avoid living in guilt and existing in shame and despair, they believe that whatever action is taken, an equal action is followed. This should suffice when it comes to accountability, but because cosmic time do not align with physical time, when we do wrong, whenever the cosmos give it back, we do not feel the consequences of that past action merits the degree by which we experience the psychic and emotional effect. I have always been cognizant of this and try not to create huge negative influences where before it seemed out of my control how I spoke and treated people. Then I learned to control my tongue.
I had to learn to apply the filter to my mouth and know that everyone is not ready to receive what I have to say, nor can they handle the truth. I suspect that I have been out of my mind, out of mind control for some months now, and I observed the society around me and it appears foreign to me. The way people act and behave seems more programmed and robotic. Their emotions seem prefixed to some fixed narrative that places them at the center of their universe and everything else gets reduced to the lowest anatomical particle, deserving of little to no respect. I am not mad about this sad reality anymore. Originally, I felt I needed to integrate into community, but I feel my thoughts are alien-like making it difficult to form relationships. I now see it as possible to have a vital life without involving myself in different social groups. This is a process I will have to trust God about because I have been giving up ways of relating. I have given up trying to figure out where I stand in society. What is needed now is re-emerging of a nation of people who have always been great, but pacified so we are disciplined to fight. I have always seen the American dream as a nightmare because the activity acts of a downtrodden people having no vision to imagine a better prospect but do not count on it ever coming to pass because then again it is only an American dream and you must be asleep to have it. The populace and their handicapped state of cognitions are mentally locked into the between the compulsions of their God-given gifts and talents and the manipulations of psychological trauma constantly being reinforced in the conscious mind. Epictetus, a Roman philosopher, writes in The Essential Epicurus, Men are not influenced by events, but by the views they take of events. End quote. The Stoics believed that man's rational thinking could be used to overcome the uncertainties of emotions and various problems of ex existence. Albert Ellis, an American psychologist, explains people's emotional disturbances are caused by idiosyncratic philosophies and constructed beliefs that lead to unhappiness and pain. We develop a negative schema about ourselves as we internalize conflicting perceptions from our environment, end quote. I have learned channeling our God-given talents will link the disconnected connect of conflicting perceptual experiences that lead us to the truth. The truth is characteristically free of doubt, lies, confusion, and ambiguity. Nothing is too great for God to correct. I am over asking why I ask God now, what now? Then I know the question is out of my power. So I should say thank you and this too shall pass. No one truly knows what physical death will bring. But it is worth not jinxing it by willfully maintaining that we are now the, not the masters of our own heart. Thus we give ourselves a pass not to consider the afterlife for the convenience of feeling empowered by our own befuddlement. I was feeling trapped in my apartment so I went to the movies to see Creed 2 at the Magic Johnson Theater in Harlem. I brought a beer inside and enjoyed it. It had been a week since I last had a drink and I needed to let my hair down. After a movie, I should have gone home, but I did not. My mind told me to go down to the hangar bar on Christopher Street and have another beer. I contem contemplated whether this was a good idea, but took off downtown anyway. That is when the curses started to arise. After exiting the train, I walked along Christopher Street like a dis 
dipsomaniac when I was suddenly cut off on the sidewalk by a white couple who jumped in my way. Then they pretended they did not see me, then sarcastically said, sorry, but I knew they, did not, they saw me and only wanted a reaction from me. I ignored their impertinence and then maneuvered around them heading to the bar. I was used to spirits disturbing my walks on the street and now I was prepared for this crap. When I walked into the bar and sat down, one of the regular Latino bartenders asked me what I wanted to order. I told him an instilled beer and then he proceeded to carry on a conversation with another guy sitting next to him, not bothering to make my drink. After five minutes, I was still waiting for my beer. Then I felt a wave of heat come over me, but I did not pay it no mind. I told myself to be patient and maybe it was he was waiting on someone to bring more draft beer. But then a black woman approached, ordered her drink, and he made it right away. Then he went back to carrying on his conversation, totally ignoring the fact that I was still waiting. Eventually, he walked over to me and in a shrewd tone asked me to repeat my order. I knew immediately a spirit had possessed him, causing him to ignore me and forget my order. I knew instantly I needed to get up and leave, and that is what I did. The guy he was talking to was mean-mugging me the whole time, but I paid him no mind with their obvious display of haterade because I knew it was only a ghost revealing to me to be weary of my surroundings. That was nothing that was something very peculiar about gay men that my spirit does not feel comfortable around. Though I desire a man and I am attracted to men, I find it impossible to penetrate this secret society to where I am respected by them. It has never been a cakewalk with gay men and I feel I am walking on eggshells when crossing them. It feels there is some influence not wanting me to get too complacent with gay culture so I cannot live a typical gay lifestyle filled with drugs and sex and non-commitment. I have always felt I did not belong, but I usually could psychologically take myself to a place of belonging and acceptance. But it seems the closer I get to, to God and more home, more homeless, I, let me repeat that. But it seems the closer I get to God, the more homeless I feel in my sense of home. T.D. Jake says, sometimes God keeps us lonely to keep us, keep, to keep us exclusive. Maybe my purpose surpassed anything the gay community can ever offer me. Maybe I am limiting my scope to what social networks are available to me. Maybe I am a weird person and people find me irritating. To follow God is to have no home. So I must get comfortable with discomfort and not feeling sure that I am hearing the voice of God or if, if it's only noise in my head. God takes my retardation and helps me to see that where I am going in my life, no drink at a bar will satisfy me. I will never be satisfied until I am fulfilled my purpose. I must get comfortable with my loneliness and understand God is able to fill in the cracks in my heart when no one seems to want to be near me. I was hostile as I engaged the public pushing an old Latina lady, woman, because she jumped in my way, causing me to jump over her, her shoulder, or bump her shoulder. I turned around, walked straight up to her and pushed her. She turned around wearing a dumbstruck look on her face, but she did not say nothing because she knew what she was up to. At Whole Foods, a white couple wailed past me in the aisle. The woman bumped my shoulder, then faked an apology. I started to say something, but caught myself. But then I decided to walk behind the couple to see what they would do. I noticed the wickedness in the woman as she got nervous and kept looking over her shoulder. But I said nothing to them, but stay behind them. 
I was more interested in what was beneath the surface of our explicit harassment. That quality, that cowardly people hide behind like a veil of pretense and quasi-race superiority. Of course, I knew that she tapped me on purpose. That is why she became nervous and her weak beta male partner pretended not to be aware I was following them. Eventually, the lady stepped to the side and pretended to look in her purse while her man stood there confused. Why provoke people you are scared of? Is it a possession or needless stupidity? I later had to step into another Latino woman's face by cutting me off in line. Then she tried to deny it and proceeded to check out. But I told her I was not moving and she needed to back off. She then proceeded to tell me how childish I was, but I ignored her. The intimidation occurred again as I walked on a train. A white European tourist decided to jump in front of me while pretending to check her phone. The husband was ready to step in front of me too, but stopped uh, bumping into me when he saw that I was not moving. I had had it for the day with stupid people, so I turned to face the woman and I walked over to her and bumped her shoulder. Neither of, them, neither of them said anything because they knew the reason why I was retaliating. I did not set out to be aggressive or retaliate. I simply wanted to go about my day unbothered and unfazed. But God was still working with me and not to do unto others as they do unto me. The other law is conditional on man's tawdry attempt at not deceiving others, which can never be guaranteed. Mental slavery will assure the hungry, hungry beast always gets his carcass as man's ruthlessness is expelled. I am not suggesting there is nothing to gain at the expense of others. But how man chooses to codify his primitive instincts resemble that of an ape living in the concrete jungle. There is no peaceful order, neither sensible augmentation of con- consciousness making primal man accountable to his fellow man, nor is there a pr- repository repository of virtuous predilections lying dormant within the soul of man waiting to come out of its cave making us like Israel again am I referring to restraint or the noble precursor of faith Jesus kept his faith toward the enemies because he was conscious of who he was and whose he was is this enough in today's day and age where people form a private tribunal against you within a matter of seconds and hold you in contempt until proven innocent the cause is ever allowed due process at all we are living in a strange time and though i want the to be peaceful the nature of the climate i am living in requires that i have a level of defense toward an immediate threat imposing my integrity posing on my integrity and dignity does this mean that i have the right to bump back or curse back in defense of dignity does a wise man always shut his mouth and turn the other cheek Am I capable of feeling apart from my base impulses? Though God was partial and maybe even biased to a chosen race of people, he did not change how he engaged the Gentiles. I desperately desperately wanted to be circumcised in that way that I never let stupidity annoy me or throw me off. Stupidity seems to be increasing and becoming more powerful every waking hour. How does a sensible, rational, and for the most part, peaceful man reckon with that in which debase him daily, assaulting his morals and degrading his sensibilities to where now crusty scales have grown over the possibility of the wound ever fully healing? It is a speck in the eye of a man that I pay no attention to until I am forced with the choice to 
incriminate myself or challenge to become master in the war of words, raining down bullets of hate, phobia, suspicion, denial, and every other pitfall man falls in. I do not want to be common in this sense. I want to be victoriously uncommon because I will have control finally and declare man is over his mind, not the other way around. I will prove that man can emancipate his mind by searching the recesses of his mind to find his old self by discovering that person has died and will never be born again. In the book of Ecclesiastics 9 and 5 in the New International Version, it reads, For the living knows that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and every, even the memory of them is forgotten. End quote. It is time to allow my defenses to die. Let people do what they are going to do anyways and pray for deliverance over them because God allows our oppressors to advance, to possess the less conscious on earth. And I have been inextricably tied to this joke, unfortunately, as I sat on the bench contemplating the will of God or man. Minding my business, I observed a white, observed the white people walking and jogging past me. And as they got closer to me, their faces tightened. Then I noticed their tick reactions that flared up only upon getting nearer to me. They all began checking their phones peculiarly and would only put it away after passing me. Weird, right? I was like, what is this neuroses making me, uh, making them uh, behave nervously when they approach me? Or rather, what kind of powers are they perceiving from me that I cannot perceive? This made me want to run home and not leave until I felt whatever was on me was off. What had I done to cause this reaction I was perceiving from people? I knew my aura was strong because people were behaving uncomfortable around me. Could this be another episode of my pineal gland reopening? The attack started back when forced, that forced me back into the woods to meditate. I found a large stone to sit on and tried focusing my thoughts on an object, a tree, anything to take my mind away from the potential danger. I closed my eyes and talked to God. I asked him for strength and focus during this test because I knew it was only a test. I felt compelled to buy spiritual cleansing oils and, say, and sage to cleanse myself in my apartment, thinking I must have picked up a spirit from someone. But this time I would not seek solutions outside of myself, but would go inward and speak positivity to myself. I asked God not for understanding of what this was, but for courage to withstand it. Everywhere I traveled, people were picking up on my frequency. I could view demons yards away as they approached nervously, pretending to be checking their phones. However, this time I was much clearer that I was in no immediate danger, and it was only my subconscious being projected out for me to see. I was not worried that demons might attack me, but I know who they were, and they were everywhere. On day three of my pineal gland experience, I was walking down 145th Street, minding my business, when I picked up on the negative aura coming from a white couple approaching below the hill. I could literally see the possession of the female as she inched closer to my side of the sidewalk. Her entire face looked demonic and it looked as though she was pushing her body to me to bump me. I decided not to adjust myself but allowed the collision and that's when all hell broke loose and they immediately started screaming at me as if I prompted 
as if prompted by some demon arising from within them. The male jumped at me as if he would attack me, but the female grabbed him. I was surprisingly very calm as I tried to alleviate the situation. Calm down, I said in a coaxing tone. No, you calm down, they retorted in unison. I could see the manipulation all over their faces, but I was not buying it in, into this time, and I simply told them, have a good day. Then I turned around and walked away. This was the first time I did not feel animosity or allowed a thought to distract me as the experience quickly left my mind and I went about my day. I could not believe it. Had God removed something within me that once caused dehabilitating anxiety? <gasps> was this what happened? having a balanced constitution felt like? Was this emotional intelligence? I would test this again the next day, walking up Lenox, Lenox Avenue in Harlem. I was minding my business as usual when I saw a black woman and her white companion heading toward me. I felt their negative aura from a block away and prepared myself for the bullcrap, which inevitably came as they both moved to my side of the sidewalk and we began to pass one another. The guy bumped my shoulder aggressively without saying excuse me. I was not about to let this slide, so I turned up and followed him, but he did not turn around. When I knew it was nearly on his heel, Black Becky finally stopped him to turn and man up and face me. I was not intimidated by his size, nor was I going to go into a tirade about him feeling puffed up because he had a black woman on his arm. I was only concerned about why he felt emboldened to bump me. Are you okay? I asked. Are you okay? He asked. You just bumped me, I said. No, you bumped me, he said. I knew I was not going to get the truth out of this prick, so I politely apologized, and then his demeanor changed, and he apologized as well. I said, have a nice day, and he returned the jester, and we both turned her and went our separate ways. Black Becky looked disappointed, but I knew she instigated the entire scene, probably informing him a gay guy was approaching and try to intimidate me. As they always try to harass gay men on the street, especially when they are with their male companions. I let my wisdom guide my response and was able to keep my power and energy, not wasting it on two strangers who just wanted to get a rise out of me. This signaled to me that whatever frequency people were perceiving, it was strong enough to be perceived from far distance. It is usually white people that behave this peculiar way. Some people stop to stop and linger around as if transfixed by my aura, but they say nothing, only gawking at me stupidly. This used to freak me out when this happened back in 2018 when I thought I was in the twilight zone. But now I am aware and allow these demons to just get whatever they think they are getting out of me and then they walk away. But white people have a more modest approach. I want y'all to listen up very closely about what I'm about to say. White people have a more modest approach, but I can tell they become agitated when I'm around them on the train. One minute a white woman is sitting on the train reading a book, then when I enter the car, she suddenly stops and can no longer focus after I enter the train. They almost always put their books away annoyingly. The males pretend to check their phones and fidget, crossing their legs aggressively or tapping their feet clearly agitated. Latin people become more obviously aggressive. The males try to cut me off when they exit the train or they walk up in the sliding they walk up to the sliding doors beside me and kick the doors or slam their hands on the railing to startle me. I receive a slew of harassments while walking on the sidewalk. 
I am a lone wolf in a city of lions as they ganging up on me with, for the kill. Black women cannot sit next to me. They get up and walk away. Or if I am walking, they jump in front of me to intimidate me to move. The black men resort to all kinds of tactics. One day, on day four of my pino gland experience, a black man came on the train and swung his backpack off his shoulder, hitting me with it. Then he started singing out loud to be obnoxious, all the while looking at me periodically to see if I was paying attention to his nonsense. Muslim women lower their gaze when I sit directly in front of them. When I go into the bodega, the Muslim men either come, become passive-aggressive or they start laughing nervously and bag my items aggressively and throw my money on the counter and post to placing it on my hand. People standing in front of me at Starbucks in the Starbucks line start rubbing their necks and checking over their shoulders. I think I may be a target, but I shrug it off and strut without a care in the world. But in my mind, it's transfixed on what is occurring around me. Second. Okay. On day five, while at church, I felt a spirit jump into me, which brought tears in my eyes and a smile back on my face. A smile that I hadn't had genuinely without the aid of alcohol, which had been tipped, which I had been tiptoeing back into from time to time. The lady sitting next to me left the aisle. Then the lady on the other side of me started acting nervously, scared to sit sit back in her seat afraid her shoulder would touch me or something all of this attention affirmed my faith which i was sure made the devil mad because i was choosing to remain positive despite feeling sure this breaking consciousness reality would haunt me for days on end the spiritual attack started increasing getting stronger by the day my intent is to only write the events that has happened and to be as honest as i can be about my objective impressions I was stronger this time against the spiritual attacks, and I was able to laugh under my breath at how ridiculous people were behaving. I did not desire to be perceiving other people's uncomfortable feelings, so I decided to remain home and stay off the streets. I have never clung to God so tightly as I was then. I felt more compassion, however, though I cannot be everything for everybody trying to appease people who would just hate me anyway. I had to keep my eyes forward and make no sudden moves, so I am not taken the wrong way. I hoped my pineal gland would close soon because I had been had to keep living my life. I reduced my daily activity to only going to Central Park to meditate. Then I hurried back home and write my experiences down, locking myself inside all day. It was the only way not to go insane. I knew my powers were on the level beyond my understanding because I noticed even babies on the train observing me. On the sixth day, I woke up at 1.47 a.m. to pee and could not get back to sleep. I was in my head about how I could have caused this paranoia to start back up again. Did it happen at church as I praised God, causing hell to tremble? Or did my pineal gland open accidentally due to me still drinking while trying to nurse myself back to recovery? Was it the Jamaican restaurant I went to in Brooklyn? And did those evil Jamaican women put voodoo powder in my food? Did the guy recently I had, recent, had sex with recently, did he have a spirit on him? And did it jump on me during sex? Did I pick it up on the train? I was able to go back to sleep. Then I had a dream. I was on the train heading to 59th Street in Columbus Circle, wearing my army rucksack loaded on my back. Then I found myself in the middle of a transportation hub with shops and fast food restaurants inside the station. 
There was a carousel, carousel in the middle of the station with escalators all around me. The white people were seeming to be going about their business suddenly started paying attention to me. Then they started giving me evil stares like what happened to me at Herald Square. A couple of people began following close behind me with no cause. One white woman followed directly behind me. Then I stopped and then she walked right into my rucksack but did not say excuse me but walked around me talking in a foreign language on her phone. I walked away then turned to see if she was looking then spotted her picking her head out around a pinball machine but then when she saw me she saw her and she hid. I went up the escalator and then saw many rucksacks going across a factory style conveyor belt which each rucksack had a last name of a person sewn in the front of it. Then my rucksack fell between the assembly line and I was carried off on the conveyor belt. I slipped between the back of the machine and to look for it but then got stuck and then I started to panic trying to free myself and then I woke up. I spent two hours that morning meditating in the woods and then I walked over to a nearby pond because water was healing, has healing powers, allowing me to release those thoughts that set in physical tension in my body. After my meditation, my energy level was high and I felt calm and less anxious leaving the park, heading to the train to go home. In the back of my mind, I was waiting for negative reactions from people, but I tried not to focus on it, thinking it would, would unconsciously attract to me. My time at the pond was also peaceful, and people passed me without giving me a suspicious eye or trying to distract me. I thought God finally had heard my cry, and I was finally being freed from this plague, so I thought. I finished my meditation around 9.30 a.m. and waited at the 110th Street Station. I, exit, I exited the train at 125th Street and waited to transfer to an uptown D train to the Bronx still feeling free from danger i was no longer in my head and everyone minded minded their business no one was eyeing me or fidgeting around me the train approached i entered the train and sat down i smiled at a white gentleman who was sitting on the other side but he had his shades on and did not smile back so i assumed he did not notice me he had a construction worker physique with a thick beard and dark face wearing a heavy denim coat and rugged blue jeans I decided to concentrate on something else while the train moved upward, uptown. As the train approached 135th Street, I suddenly noticed the man beginning to make unprovoked, nervous movements. First, he scratched his neck. Then he reached down to adjust his shoestrings. Then he adjusted his cap. Then he switched his leg quickly as if he was agitated. And then he crossed the other leg quickly, making a huffing noise. Then he checked his phone. Then he took the sunshades off and strained his eyes as if something was irritating them. Then he put them back on, but turned his head to the side as if he was looking away from me. A white woman was sitting adjacent to him. I observed his nervous behavior as well, but she made no sudden moves. By the time we made it to 155th Street, he took his shades off again and wiped his face with his hand looking down. I was not looking directly at him, but observing from my peripheral in my and my feelings was, this guy is one messed up individual, but I was not anxious or nervous or preoccupied with his movements. I was thinking of a relaxing time that I had at the woods and how meditation was really helping me focus on my thoughts. And then I reasoned, this maybe was a test to see how focused I could be in the face of distractors. By the time the stop reached 161st Street, he got up, moved forward. 
as to intimidate me or verify his paranoia, perhaps to see if I would react. But I remained calm, pretending not to pay attention to him. He stood at the door frustrated, then stepped off. The white woman jumped up and slipped some money into a sleeping homeless man's bag and stepped off behind him. I guess she had felt guilt. She had a guilty conscience, so she wanted to make herself seem benevolent. <laughs> I was glad that circus act was over. But then another white man approached and sat in the same seat, behaving strange. He stopped and in a slow, cautious motion sat down, keeping his eyes closed the entire time. He appeared scared to open them, maintaining a stiff posture, not allowing himself to relax until he made it to his stop. I thought, why would he come sit across from me if the, if the sight of me bothered him? The train reached 167th Street, and the man got up and exited the train, and I got up, forgot all about him. Three stops later, the train arrived at Tremont, and I looked outside the train and I spotted the same man sitting on the platform bench holding an iPad. I thought... Was he not the same man I just saw get up on the train? I was not alarmed by the, this because I blamed my observation on either hallucinations or he could have been a gang stalker, which are demons that travel through portals in human vessels, so you cannot tell them apart from normal humans. I decided not to entertain the paranoia and change my thoughts to something else. I exited the train no anxiety after those two bizarre experiences i felt a little anxious but i decided to listen to music bobbing my head and singing away the fear because i knew it was only a test i would not allow other people's negative energy to intimidate me and this apparently irritated them i knew i was not possessed or cursed negative people perceive my energy and feel irritated by it it is what i must go through to be close to god i was not going crazy people are crazy and that is the sad that is sad because I wish everyone feel as light as I do because I convert my fear of people in that moment. Nothing bothered me the entire day, and that was a miracle from heaven. In retrospect, I feel it was my disobedience with alcohol that brought these perceptions on, but I am never certain. Maybe God only wanted my honesty and not my arrogance. How could I forget so quickly that only days ago I blacked out on the street after binge drinking? It was my selfishness that God hated, and he sent his legions of demons down to terrorize me until I figured it out. Who knows how long I would have continued feeling insane. I was stronger the more honest now in life, in my life, and this was progress. I experienced the same insanity the summer before, and I thought I was going to die. I never realized back then it was my dishonesty of my drinking that was causing it. Yes, my third eye was open, but it, is, it does not open accidentally. God opened it so I could experience this ugly scene and scare me enough to slow my drinking down. I felt much more confident to stay sober this time around. I did not want to piss God off anymore. My focus now would be on completing my book and staying home until I figured out what was my next move would be. I worked up the courage to go see a psychologist at the VA Medical Center. She was a white female in her early 30s, fairly attractive. But you could tell she was worn down by her heavy workload. Our conversation started by her asking me what my presentation, uh, presenting problem was. As I began to unravel the events that occurred at my school, I instantly felt animosity coming from her by the way she responded to my experiences, seeming more defensive than trying to understand the, my point of view. It felt as if she was attacking me by 
prejudging me for recording the conversations with my supervisor. She seemed to be taking sides with the faculty staff and told me that I was wrong for recording as if I didn't already know that. Then she started making assumptions when I spoke of oppressive systems, saying that I was referring to white people creating those systems. That is when I knew that she did not have my best interests at heart. And she quickly was no different than the rest of these racist white people who claim they want to help me. I was beginning to feel that therapists need more help than the clients they are so-called psychoanalyzing. I find it hard to trust anyone who would misrepresent my my prejudice simply out of her own insecurities and Eurocentric ideas about oppressive superiority. The distrust that reoccurred in my therapist had me thinking about how to fight against these injustices when injustice is ill-defined. Justice can only be useful, usefully applied to injustice when the injustice is useless. To me, this means when manipulation and deceptive tactics is seen as futile, then maintenance can be applied to remedy the wrong. One second. Continuing to blame white people for the ills of oppression is no longer a useful scapegoat. And fortunately, I feel God delivered me from generalizing all white people. It was not my intentions to quarrel with every therapist, though I tried to focus on that single isolated incident that happened to me at the school. I was not able to get her to see that I did not mean all white people were evil. Plato writes in Republic that which is good is not the cause of all things but only of what is as it should be, being guiltless of originating evil, end quote. If she did not feel guiltless, she would not have responded defensively, assuming I meant all white people when I put no race to who was exacerbating oppressive systems and doing it with an iron fist. I was not surprised she would find my experiences frustrating, wearing that dumbstruck look on her face the entire time I was telling her straight up how I felt about American systems. I think she could have rather preferred I put myself in the victim role of white supremacy other than trying to co-create solutions to overcome the dialectics of racism. There is nothing more detestable than some evil woman using her position to power the empower to render a client fallible psychotherapy while holding on to her biases and baseless prejudices when she knows the ethical and moral ramifications of this form of malpractice. Then she set up an appointment with me to see a psychiatrist whom I assume will only throw more medication at me. However, I felt more malleable this time that psychotropic therapy will be the link to having sustained mental health functioning. And frankly, I was tired of smoking weed and needed another escape. The anxiety was still there, and, but buried beneath the cloud of smoke exhaled out of my lungs. I needed to find new ways of cur curing the anxiety that plagues my mood and outlook on life. I admitted to myself that I was dealing with depression and anxiety. Whether it was manifestations of post-traumatic stress, I do not know. But I was experiencing rapid thoughts, flights of ideas that I assumed were due to it having an overly active and creative imagination. I needed structure in my life and to alleviate depression at all costs. I accepted I could have chem a chemical imbalance and I know it now because I have removed all stresses out of my life and I no longer have want to cry irrationally and escape the world but I desire to be present in the moment but those moments are in, <sighs> unpredictable at times all these emotions I used to associate with other people but maybe the war is within 
I feel like I must fight for this life I have been given, and that is no way to live, so I resolve I will continue therapy with my psychologist, though I did not trust her, having no one else to turn to. The psychiatrist appointed pointed to me was another run-of-the-mill suburban white female. Our greetings were cordial, though. She sat me down and asked me my presenting issues was, and I began to explain to her all of my delusions, my fears and anxieties and demons. I told her about my preception, perceptions about white supremacy and how the practice of it has been the sole proprietor to all of the nation's mental health issues plaguing the country. I told her of all of my irrational fears, all of my weird and eccentric behaviors, the insomnia, the fluctuating emotions, my relationship with God. I admitted to feeling severely depressed and possibly on the verge of a mental breakdown. I told her of my trust issues and my dismissal from the MSW program and how that made me feel. If at times I felt anxious about answering her questions, I did not hide it. I allowed myself every range of emotion I felt necessary so she, she could help access what it was that she thought was my condition could be. I needed her expert opinion because I was tired of telling myself what it was not. Could I be bipolar or was this only a bout of depression? Could it be PTSD encompassing all stratums of symptoms? These types of questions are the reason psychiatrists exist, so I wanted to utilize her as much as possible, combining my receptivity to any medications prescribed by her. I was ready to receive, despite my thwarted mind inclining me to inferior powers, feeding me feelings of isolation and distrust, psychic pain, thus becoming possessed with a senile notion of sagaciousness. This only served to hinder the helping process between helper and client because my reference gets wrestled with the minutest mindfulness and threat of the mind regressing back to that nature of controversy, dissension, ridicule, and unwarranted persecutions against an unjust system. White supremacy, homophobia, xenophobia, and all other base appearances that I assume were the cause of my unhappiness. I was not going to make this mistake again. So I decided to give an honest account of my experiences and not worry about the feelings judged about doing so. After I answered all of her questions, I asked how she could help. I assured her I would consider starting back on my antipsychotic quidipin. She agreed to prescribing me 100 milligrams and instructed that I cut it in half and gradually increase the dose. I took them home and made up my mind that I would take psychotropics seriously and begin a life of sobriety. However, the following day, all I'd done was smoke weed. I bar hopped and drank more than usual, maybe to get it out of my system or as a way of rebelling, but I saw no other option but to quit altogether and begin taking the medication. I took ownership of the role that I played in the fight for my own sanity, and I knew all too well the effects of using substances. I felt determined to control my habit once and for all, and I put aside all distractions holding me back from having full agency over my life. I felt an intrinsic confidence to start a new life free of addiction. My mind was now not burdened with fear. I no longer needed to escape my reality, but I mindfully accepted the instances of mental purgatories attacking my thoughts, stimulating external sensations, warring against my well-being. With both my psychologist and my psychiatrist's help, I would be guided toward mindfulness. Damn, this is a long chapter. Damn. I recognized the dialectics toward the activity of being fully present and aware of where I was imposed to being overly reactive and overwhelmed by what was going on around me. Intellectual investigation is an effort to expose false beliefs by eliciting truth. Looking downward, 
going deep into an earlier time in our conception, applying Socratic questioning to every cultivated remedy applied to the stress and the intransient problems arising in our lives. For once, I openly considered it probable that I may be suffering from the effects of PTSD, and I admitted this to my psychologist despite having fears of a medical label. I wanted to be completely honest about the fears and the doubts resonating somatic awareness concerning the heart. Now, in relation to the heart, it is true I started out unobliged to dive into the deep black sea, fearing the bloodthirsty sharks swarming around, preparing to tear my flesh to shreds if I made the slightest inquiry into what concerned the heart. A drop of blood seeps out with every inquisition, luring the sharks to me, causing me to cry in agony. Eventually, I learned to control the cries and aggressively look the shark eye to eye. This exquisite moment of survival recovers the regurgitation of blood leaking out. In hindsight, one never really comes out of the shark tank, but I have the ability to think and feel my way through the murky waters, disguising fear for intrepidness, eluding the vulture, thus saving my own life through the power of compulsive revolutions, causing fundamental healing. By questioning not what has attracted the shark, but what is causing the blood to leak, I have to dive deeper into in order to maintain homeostasis. This is mindfulness, mending the muddled mind run amok by the merry morality of mistakes misconceived as mo mobility out of the madness plunging me deeper toward mobility. I had been seeing my psychiatrist for nearly two weeks when she suggested that I switch my medications from Seroquel to Alanzapin. I reluctantly agreed switching because I was tired of sleeping for 12 hours after taking Seroquel. Yet, I still had anxiety, was not improving, so I reluctantly obliged. The anxiety attacks I, experiences, I experienced was resurfacing, and I was back to having sweat accompany my fear of people who were behaving aggressive around me. It started at Starbucks when I first perceived the negative energy coming from the customers. Then my armpit started sweating uncontrollably, which alarmed me because I did not know what was causing it. However, I remained, okay guys, <laughs> I'm going through it. <laughs> I'm sorry, we're already at 57 minutes and I'm nowhere near to be done. So I'm gonna end up doing a part two on this, but I will continue this until my time is up. However, I remain focused on typing my memoir. Though my eyes remain glued to the computer screen, my nerves were, were all over the room absorbing this peculiar energy toward me. I believe people were staring at me in a hostile way, but for what? Only God knows. This procession reinforced the trauma of being perceived wrongly. Then the sweating started. Eventually, the paranoid thoughts went away, but the people continued acting nervously around me. A lot of factors could have contributed to this physiological reaction. One being that I was three days sober, so my body may have been experiencing old, apparently unresolved anxious traumas evoking past episodes. It was clear the weed never resolved my anxious problems, but only masked it. This was regretful because I had spent nearly a thousand dollars in the past seven months on weed, thinking it was helping me when it only suppressed whatever imbalance occurring chemically in me. However, progress was being made because I was not holding on to my anxiety, but I was able to release it quickly.
by thinking my way past it, allowing myself to go about my day, focusing only on the situation in front of me, not taking weirdos problems along with me, I allowed my feelings and emotions to predominate, not to destroy the rest of my day. I explained this to my psychiatrist a week after starting Olanzapin, and she felt it would be best to increase my dose, even though she only recently started me on the pill. I was not always willing to take medications which showed my growth over the years. I just wanted to be well, and I was willing to do whatever it took. I'm going to stop there, guys, and I'm going to do a part two on this, guys. Stay tuned, because this gets very interesting. Talk to you then. Ta-ta.